0: Hi, I'm Larry, and it is an absolute delight to be with you. I love your pastor. And uh, as Mike was saying, uh, I've had in my heart, ever since I was first called into ministry, there was an older pastor that I had no idea where he got my name. But he called and said, you're in Hobart, Oklahoma, a farming community of 5,000. And he said, um, I'm going to fly you to Houston, Texas, and I'm bringing bringing four. Y'all, get the beat, all right? I'm bringing four other guys with me, and you're going to spend three days in a hotel, and I'm going to share with you what I feel it takes to finish the race in ministry. And so somebody poured into my heart, and I told Sin years ago, that if God allows me to privilege, hey, guys, you that, excuse me, if I have some friends here, I'm just going to stop and say, hey, you're not going to believe what I know about them. Ah. But I knew in my heart that we would start Faith Foundry, and Faith Foundry would take five young pastors a year. And our ministry, we have coaching calls twice a month. We have webinars once a month. We have the opportunity to have an orientation and then we take those five pastors to Nicaragua and we allow them to experience a ministry that started there back in 1992 and is still going. And we visit each one of their churches, have the opportunity to sit and listen and enjoy what has happened. I've already taken so many notes on you all today. Uh, One quick thing I want to say, I want to share. I got here early and it was early for our volunteers to all meet. And almost every one of you, you're probably 35 and under, but you sat here this morning getting ready. You prayed for those that were hurting. You prayed for the service. You shared love with one another. And I just texted Cynthia, and I said, "If the whole church has the spirit of these young adults that are on fire for Jesus, there is no telling where the exchange, what God's going to do with it." In the And so I just want to commend you. I thank you for that. It was encouraging. And then the last thing we do with our pastors in the nine-month mentorship is we take them to Israel. We assign each one of our pastors five different biblical sites. They do research on that. They give me the research paper, and then they teach an eight to 10-minute message at each site, and our, our faith boundary takes them to Israel, covers their expenses, and that concludes our season. We finished two seasons. Someone said, how long are you going to go? I said, you know what? I, I asked the Lord to give me 10 years to be able to do that. And if he does, I will be blessed. But I'm blessed to be here with you today. And I've been texting Josiah back and forth and he is so he's worn out. But he's so, so very excited. He did get in trouble last night. You know, for the first time, he changed diapers on his brand new baby girl. And uh, about four hours later, uh, they came in and said, have you changed the diaper again? And he said, no. And Kimber said, what do you mean no? What do you mean no? What do you, why didn't you change the diaper? He said, because look, on this box, it says it holds up to 10 pounds. <laughs> Not really. Okay, he didn't really do that. <laughs> Guys, I want us to pick up where he left off last week in Philippians chapter 1, and I want you to take a look at verse 27. And uh, that's, where we're going, that's where we're going to begin today. Philippians chapter 1 verse 27 and today we're going to talk about the dual citizenship that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. So follow with me as I read and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Above all you must live as citizens of heaven conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you I will know that you're standing together with one spirit one purpose fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that, you're, that they're going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for Him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I'm still in the midst of it. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. As we take a look at that, um, let me begin by telling you, has, has anybody ever heard of a guy named John Clink? You ever heard of John Clink? Probably not. You probably wouldn't have. A few years ago, he was named an, an ambassador in one of the president's administrations. And uh, and he had that responsibility. But what was interesting about when I began to read about him, it said that this guy had dual citizenship that he was a citizen of the United States and also a citizen of Ireland. And I thought, wow, I didn't know that you could actually do that. And yet I began to read this passage of Scripture and I began to realize that what, what Paul is saying to us as followers of Christ is that we have a dual citizenship. We are citizens of this world, but above that, for those of us who are followers of Christ, we're citizens of the kingdom of God. And so being citizens of the kingdom of God Paul is going to describe to us a little bit about what that is going to be like. We just read that passage of Scripture. You may remember that uh, last year, sometime last year, the United States moved its embassy in in, uh, Israel from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Now, we've talked about that for years and years and years and years and years. But it's been a little bit of a touchy spot because of, of all of the groups that are there, the Palestinians and the Israelis but they moved it. And it was interesting because I began to read about that. And do you know that in an embassy, that once you walk in the gates of the embassy, you are literally on what we call the territory of the United States. And when you walk out of the gate, you're on the territory of Israel. But once in that gate, you're, a, you're a, a, on the ground of the citizenship of the US. Paul is talking to us in this passage of scripture about the fact that we live in this duality. We live here on this earth as, as people who are, who are friends, who are neighbors, who are husbands, who are wives, who are work associates, who are Americans, or, or who are from whatever country they're from. And we live here as those people. But for those of us that are followers of Christ, we have a citizenship that is in the kingdom of heaven. And so Paul says, how do we balance that? How do we get to the place where we can live in this world but not be of this world? And that's a challenge for all of us. It's a challenge for every one of us. As we take a look at this passage of Scripture, I want you to think of it this way. God has given you guys an amazing opportunity in the Exchange Church. I just uh, came early this morning because I wanted to be a part of everything. And for those of you who may not know what goes on here, Early in the morning, all these volunteers meet. And they talk about what we need to do today and how we need to do it. And then they have a time saying, who who in our fellowship or who among our volunteers do we need to pray for? And there was a time of prayer and a season of prayer. And, and I took a quick snapshot of that, and, and I sent it back to my wife. And I said, I want to show you something. There must be 35 or 40 young adults here. And, and they're here early. They're here an hour or so early just to meet and pray and get ready for a time of worship in the presence of the Lord. And I said, I wonder what would happen if all across, all of across every, every church in this world, there are followers of Jesus Christ. If the people of God came together and prayed and said, we want the power of God to just fall on this service. So I'm telling you something, and I want you to listen to it. It's not easy to start a church I did in Tulsa, and it was some of the hardest work I've ever done. It's not easy. It's not your building. It's somebody else's building. You have to come and set everything up and tear everything down, and you have to have all of the volunteers to make sure everything's done for just this moment that we have right here. Remember these days. Remember how God is using you as a citizen of the kingdom of God to put together this fellowship and, and, you're, and you're young. Think about it when you're, when you're my age. And be able to look back and say, I remember when God birthed the exchange. I remember what those days are like. I want you to always have that same spirit, have that same vision that I saw this morning sitting as a guest watching that take place. When we look at this passage of Scripture, I, I, want, I, want, to, I want you to take a look at, at one thing that where Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20, and I think you'll see it on the screen. It says, so we speak, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. And so here's this word picture. And the word picture is Paul is saying that God sent him as a, as a foreign minister to announce a peace treaty. And say, for those in the world who are without Christ, you have the opportunity to come to Christ. And Christ has made it possible to give you a new life. You are ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to constantly remember, as we go through these three verses, I want you to remember this is what Christ has for you. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be very, very rewarding. This passage of Scripture describes something that I've seen personally in my life. It describes the fact that you as a believer have to know the people you're trying to reach. And and let me tell you something. There are a lot of people that told me from the time I was a young pastor, oh, don't don't hang around with that person or don't hang around with that person or "They're, they're sinners or don't do that, don't do that. I want to tell you something. My greatest friends are sinners. I, I, I love them. Not that they're actively involved in sin, but we're all sinners. And what would have happened if somebody had said about you, oh, don't go talk to them. You know, their lifestyle is bad. My wife has the opportunity to, Cynthia and I have been married 47 years, and and she has the opportunity for the last probably 10 or 15 years, she has been connected to the Jerusalem Prayer Center. And as a result of being connected to the Jerusalem Prayer Center, she met one of our mission teams that are there. They work specifically with Palestinians. Three years ago, the head of the Palestinian mission team, who are Americans that work with Palestinians to reach them for Christ, came to Cynthia and said, in our organization as Southern Baptist, every one of our people groups, the missionaries, they have a prayer advocate. But the prayer advocate is a full-time missionary. I met with our group of workers who work with Palestinians. And and we want to ask our mission board if they will allow you to be a volunteer and serve as a prayer advocate. If you would accept that. Cynthia said, I'll pray about it. And she talked to me about it. I said, I think it's the greatest thing in the world. We absolutely need to do that. Before she could go, in our, in our denomination. Somewhere in the northern part of the United States, there is a piece of property that is over two thousand acres, and it's all fenced in. It's it's a barrier, and you can't get in there unless somebody lets you in. But once you go in, our denomination has set up towns, small towns of all the people groups that we serve in. In order to serve, Cynthia had to go and go into that area and live in the Palestinian town for about two weeks, ten days, and to learn about their customs, and to learn about what you can do and what you can't do, and what's appropriate and not appropriate. And Paul is saying here, you've got to understand. You need to know the culture we're dealing with. You know that. But you also need to know how you connect. How you connect, and a way that you connect in a way that not only allows them to see the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Christ that is in your life, but also has the opportunity to draw them, the, them to the Lord. You know, um, it's interesting because when you talk about a foreign ambassador has to live a careful life in a foreign country, observing the conditions, all of that, they also have to realize that they're representatives of the Lord. Sadly, I'm sorry to say that not many of I want, to, I want to ask you a question, and let's just dialogue a little bit today. This is a survey that was done last year, and the survey, the survey surveyed Christians, all right? And actually, I have their right number. They surveyed 820 evangelical Christians, and here was the question. Do you consider yourself an American first or a Christian first? These are evangelical Christians. What do you think they said? I don't have time for all of you. What do you think they said? Here's the results. Of 820 evangelical Christians asked the question, are you an American first or a Christian first? 42% said that they were Christians first. 48% said that they were Americans first. And 10% said, I don't know. Now I want to ask you a question. Are you an American first or are you a Christian first? Absolutely. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. And you're an ambassador for Him in this world. And Sometimes we mess up and sometimes we don't do what, what our King has called us to do. But Paul is saying to us right here, don't ever forget you're an ambassador, and an ambassador has a responsibility. So, you know what? We say, where does our loyalty lie? It always lies with the Lord. Now, here's what I want. I want you to tell you three things, and then we're going to quit. First thing I want to tell you in this verse, 27 and the first part of 28, we need to look at our kingdom's command. Look at it with me again. Whether I come to see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you're standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. Now, why does Paul use this language? You were standing together in one spirit, one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news of Jesus Christ. Because he wanted them to realize that we all have the same address, that we're all in this same position. And and, and let me tell you something that will help describe it a little better. If you have your Bible, look at Philippians 3, just a couple of pages over. And look at verse 17 with me for a moment. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine. Let's stop right there. How many of us could say today that if we're working with a brand new Christian, we can say to them, here's what I want you to do. Watch me. (laughs) Oh, you go first. All right. Yeah. I... I want to be in that position where I could tell a brand new believer. If you really want to know what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, watch me. I'm not going to be perfect, but I want to try to live in a way that brings honor to his name and draws the attention to Jesus Christ. So Paul says, follow me. He says, I've told you before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ." I love the empathy and the emotion that Paul has. He says, even as I'm writing this, I'm crying because there's some that are saying that they're followers of Christ, but they don't live that life. He said they are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag and, about shameful things and they think only about his life, on, their life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. We are eagerly waiting for him, the return of our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Let me give you a little background, uh, historical background here. Paul's writing, who's he writing to? Right here. The Philippians. What do we know about Philippi? Philippi was a Roman colony. So if you're a Philippian, you get all of the privileges of Rome. If you do just a history study, not a biblical study, if you do a history study, you'll find out that they said Philippi named themselves the little Rome. They wanted to be just like Rome. They were proud that because Rome made them a province and called them part of Rome, the citizens of Philippi didn't have to pay any taxes. It was only those who were not citizens. So think about this for a moment. Paul is now writing to the church at Philippi, and he says, I have a problem. You're really walking a line here, and you're, you're talking about how much you love Rome, and you're Romans, and you're Romans, and you're promoting the fact that you're Romans, ignoring the fact that you're followers of Christ. We would later learn that the Philippians feared that if they came out and said we're followers of Christ that they would then lose all of the benefits that they had being under the status as Roman citizens and so Paul is is pulling out right here in the book of Philippians and he says come on now come on that's not who you are you're trying to walk this line and 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 you got one foot over here in the world and you're living like Rome with all of the all of the sin-filled life that Rome had at that time. And then you're coming back over here and you're saying in your church, I'm, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Paul says, stop it. That's not what you do. And he even says, you may suffer because of this. You know, I heard as a young pastor, a, a pastor I loved, his name's Adrian Rogers, he's gone to be with the Lord. But I heard him say one time, there's going to come a time in the United States of America where you are going to be persecuted because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. I wonder if that really happened in our day. How many of us could take the persecution? How many Christians would actually say, wait a second, wait a second. You know what I... I love Jesus, but I'm not sure I want to go to the place of persecution. I believe that if the Lord carries, you're going to see that day. And so Paul warns them. and, uh, And the apostles' command was simple. As a Christian, you live as citizens of heaven. You obey the customs of the citizens of heaven. You follow the rules of heaven. And I hate to say rules, because I believe it's a book of love. It's guidelines to live by. And he says, you as a follower of Christ, you must understand your position. Persecution would now replace security and everything would change. So when someone commits their life to Christ, things do change. And I am so thankful for that. If there is no change from the one who professes their faith in Christ, then take this to the bank. You ought to really question whether there's a new life. Now, I don't mean we're the judge. I don't think we ought to be judging who is a Christian and who's not. But Paul says this, if you just watch their life, and if their life is one of consistency, going back into the world, back into sin, again, 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 then there's a problem. There's a problem with their faith, their understanding of their faith, or there's a problem that it is a a, a faith that is not realistic, it's not authentic. I think, I think your generation, and I'm speaking with young millennials that are here today, and I'm so happy and privileged, I have two daughters myself, and I, I think it's one of the greatest times to live, but I also think, now listen to me, I also believe that you are going to face a far more difficult time as a follower of Christ than I did when I was your age. It was a different it was a different world. People just accepted the fact that, oh, well, there's all these Christians. But I tell you what, I also believe this. I believe that because you're in a different world right now, and because there's not just this huge blanket saying, all right, all Christians, we're a Christian nation, and kumbaya, everything is going to go great. I think that it's going to make you a stronger follower of Christ. And I think God's going to use your generation in a way like we've never seen before. And so Paul reminds them of this. Then, then let, me, let me take a, a second look at this now. And let's look. Secondly, we also have our kingdom's challenges. Look with me in verse 27 again, the last part of 27 and 28. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit, one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Do not be intimidated in any way by your enemies. Paul's saying this, United you stand. Whether I come and see you again or hear about you, know this. You need to stand together. I love that picture of standing together because I think that I think that following Jesus is really about a team. Let me share something with you from a personal perspective. I came into the ministry out of the business world. I worked for a company called American Fidelity Assurance Company. And God called us into the ministry and so we left the business world and began ministry. And during that period of time, we began to see what God required of us. I have a precious, godly wife, I mean a really, really, really great wife, she immediately began to embrace what that meant to be followers of Christ. And I could, I could know it intellectually, but there came a point in my life where I had to say, wait a second, I know this intellectually, but I'm not sure I'm all in it. And in order for God to do a work in our lives together as a team, I've got to be at the same level of commitment that I see us in. Paul is saying to the body of Christ, to the Philippians, you've got to be all in. You've got to be at a place where you understand there is going to be some difficulty. There are going to be challenges. But he's calling us to a place of following him and, uh, and i i wrote in my notes following jesus is a team support do you believe that sure you do because there were about 40 of you here at dark 30 this morning and and you were meeting to pray i thought we were going to have breakfast you know you meant to pray and encourage one another and that's and that's what a team does And so Paul writes, and he says this, following Jesus is just like being a part of a team. You're citizens of his kingdom. Now, here's a great word picture. That means that we help one another. If you had been at that prayer time this morning, you would have heard people saying, hey, here's, here's an individual, let's help them, let's help them, let's help them, let's help them. And all of a sudden, people begin to talk about that. We have a friend of ours in Mobile, Alabama that has his home. And then he's got another home that's a family home there. And it's on this beautiful place called Cornerstone Gardens. And so he tells Cynthia and I, you guys just come and stay here. And and about three months out of the year, we're there. And Cynthia's there today. And you know what? Mobile is a beautiful city. Worst roads in all of America. I mean, they will jar you loose driving down their road. Just kaboom, kaboom. Potholes. I, You know what? It's bad. It's really bad. Here's, if we were to use that analogy for just a minute, Paul is saying, those of us that are members of the body of Christ, when we have new brothers and sisters come along, go out there and stand where the pothole is. Warn them. Wait, 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 wait. Don't, this... This, you'll lose your whole car if you keep going here. Stop right there. We've got to be that type of believer. He says that's what we are. Stop. Warn them. Help them. Love them. Encourage them. That's the way the body of Christ is built. And you look at this and you're reminded of the fact that Paul says, Stand fearless. Verse 28 Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. Don't be afraid of your enemies. Let me ask you something. You don't have to answer it out loud. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, what's one thing you're afraid of? I want you to think about it. As a follower of Jesus Christ, what's one thing you're afraid of? Maybe afraid of telling a friend that you're a follower of Christ? probably not afraid of that, because if you're a true follower of Christ, they're going to see that there's something different about you. And they're going to ask you, you know, why don't you do this? Yeah. Praise God for that. And just just be able to tell them. But you look at this, and Paul says, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through, as if something strange is happening to you. Instead, be very glad for those trials make You partners with Christ in his suffering so that you'll have the wonderful joy of seeing the glory when it's revealed to all the world. Have you ever been a time in your life spiritually where you faced a a really, really difficult time? Right now, some of you immediately can go to that. I can go to that in my life. And you faced a really difficult time And there was a point where you thought, I'm not going to make it. I want to ask you a question. How did you get through that? Because there was a point in my life, I I mean, in my early pastoring of, of the church here in Fort Lauderdale, where I knew God told me something. God spoke to me so clearly about a direction that we were to be a multicultural, multiracial fellowship. And and I got a group of believers together, and I said, this is what God is telling me. It was right after Hurricane Andrew. And I said, this is what I know God wants. Can we make a commitment by the year 2000 that we're going to welcome people from every nation, from every tribe, who are followers of Jesus Christ that will come and join us. And initially, there was a yes. But then all of a sudden, things got really difficult. And suddenly I began to see that they didn't really mean yes. And guys, it was the first time in my ministry that I had ever faced opposition that I thought would would kill me, would break my heart. And suddenly God drove me to my knees. It's a long story, but I'll tell you this. One day I went home and fell in my closet. Nobody else was home. And I said, God, I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. I can't. And at that moment, I'm not trying to be hyper-spiritual, but the Spirit of God said, well, you're finally at a place where I need you to be. You can't do it. But if you trust me, I can. That totally changed my spiritual life. Now remember, I've been a pastor for years and years, but that took the level of pastoring from here I had always looked at pastors who were having trouble in their churches. And here was what proud Larry would say. I wonder wonder what's wrong with them. Oh, dear God, forgive me. I would. And then I get to the place where suddenly I just see division, strife, and so much is directed personally. And it took God greatly. be able to acknowledge what Paul just said. You're a citizen of my kingdom. I take care of my people. As a citizen of my kingdom, you do what I say. Trust me. As a result, I love that fellowship. Members from more than 40 different nations every race, every color. You've got the advantage right now, guys. There's still discrimination in this world, even among Christians. But it doesn't have to be in a new start like this. You are where Paul wants you to be right here. And in this last word that I would share with you, he says in 1 Peter this is by Peter. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in His sufferings, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing His glory when it's revealed to all the world. One. One question. Are you today going through one of those fiery trials? Maybe it's maybe it's personal, maybe it's relational, maybe it's physical, maybe it's financial, maybe it's emotional. We've all been there. We've all been there. You're not alone. What Paul is saying here is saying, look, you're a citizen of the kingdom of God. And we got a bunch of citizens here that are a part of the kingdom of God. And if you're hurting, if you're suffering, and you're sitting there not saying anything, like I did for two or three years, and just internalized it, and thought I was going to lose everything because I was so proud, too proud to say, Pray for me. Help me. I think I'm doing what God wants, but all hell seems to be breaking loose. Paul says we're citizens of two kingdoms this kingdom and the kingdom of God. Our responsibility is to walk in this world in a manner worthy of our calling. You have a young spiritual leader in Josiah. He's one of the best Bible teachers I've ever heard. He is brilliant with the exegesis of Scripture. He's a great leader. You're a great team. You need to always be aware that when God is doing something like this, Satan is waiting for all hell to break loose. Amen you understand that? Be alert. Be one. And live, even though you're in this world, live with the constant reminder that you're a citizen of the kingdom of God. I'm really, really, really proud of you. I'll be coming to church here several times through the year. And I hope to see that same spirit that I saw this morning. If you're here today and you say, Larry, you know, you talked about being a kingdom of heaven, a member of the kingdom. How how do you do that? It's very simple. It doesn't matter whether you're a Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Pentecostal, Lutheran, Catholic. It doesn't matter. That's that's, that's religion. What Jesus says is this. If you're here today and you say, Larry, I don't know if I were to die, I'd go to heaven. I don't know that. The Bible says this book is written that you could know that. And somebody will be happy to sit down and talk to you and share with you what it means to follow Christ. Maybe you're here today and, and you hit a pothole that jarred your teeth, messed up your car, messed up emotionally, and you just need somebody to pray for you. You got all of these great might. You got all of the guys that are here and gals that are here. There'll be people that'll be right up here, right after service. I'll I'll be here. And if you say, I need need you to pray for me, Larry. Bless you. Remember what you got. Remember who you are. You have dual citizenship. But your allegiance is to Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, I ask your blessing on our time today. I thank you, Lord, for Paul's boldness and reminding us that we, we have this dual citizenship. And, it, and it's difficult. Lord, it's difficult at times. We're in this world, but we're not supposed to be like this world. So, Father, we ask you to just give us help and strength I pray for my brothers and sisters here, and I'm so thankful for all of these wonderful young adults. And I pray, Lord, you put a hedge of protection around. I pray that this truly would be a place where people could exchange their old life for the new life in Christ. And so today, Lord, as we just come to a time of close and worship, we honor you, we praise you, we stand with you. We are one in Christ. And we ask your blessing in Christ. Amen. If you would like, feel free to come and join us here. If you have a question, there are people here that will answer any of your questions. The Lord bless you.